and welcome to Homecoming, a podcast that features AAPI stories and experiences. My name is Angel Rena. And I'm Emily. Thank you so much for tuning back into Homecoming, and also thank you for all of the love and support you guys have shown us recently after our launch. Um, it's really meant a lot, and we really hope that we make you proud with these following episodes. Yeah, the support and response from y'all has been so incredible and so energizing. We wanted to say thank you. It's been so great to see. So for today's episode, we really wanted to focus on Filipinos and how different Filipinos may view their identities, especially in relation to other Asians and Latinos. And we also just wanted to get to know a couple of Filipinos on Yale's campus and ask them about their cultural traditions and their experiences growing up Filipino in their respective hometowns and countries. Emily, I know that you were particularly excited about this episode. Yeah, so in the fall semester, I took a sociology course with Professor Grace Cow, who, by the way, is an amazing professor in person. And for our listeners, I highly recommend taking class taught by her if you get the chance. And one of the readings that really stuck with me was about how Filipinos self-identify. And the article also gave me a new perspective, like how people generally don't think of Filipino when they hear Asian. And the Filipino identity is really unique because the Philippines is located in Asia, but it has this really long history of both Spanish and American colonization. And these historical events have had an effect on how some Filipinos self-identify. So I'm really excited to chat with some awesome Filipino Yale students and get to know them and hear their thoughts about all of this. Yeah, same here. I'm also really glad we've dedicated this episode to Filipinos and their experiences. Um, Of course, that doesn't mean we're not going to have Filipinos on in the future because we definitely will. But I just feel like Filipinos aren't represented and talked about enough when we talk about Asians. And I also feel like this is the case for really any ethnicity under the Asian race that isn't East Asian. But I'm also not trying to discount Chinese, Korean, and Japanese experiences. Um, but I'm, I'm just saying that these other ethnicities are out there and they also deserve the space to make their voices heard and share their stories. Yeah, completely. And with that being said, we'd like to welcome our first guest today, LJ Flores, who's a rising junior at Yale from the Philippines. LJ, thanks so much for being here and for being on so late. I know it's 11 p.m. in the Philippines right now, right? No, no problem. Yeah, it's 11. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, of course. We're happy to have you. So uh, LJ, do you want to sort of introduce yourself, um, who you are within and outside the context of Yale and, you know, feel free to go into as much detail as you want. Oh, okay. Um, hi, guys. So I'm LJ. Um, I'm, a, yeah, I'm a rising junior uh, in Pearson. I'm taking statistics and data science. Um, I'm an international student from the Philippines. So I'm actually Filipino-Chinese. So like by blood, I am Chinese, but like I was born and raised, like my family has been here for generations and so I consider myself very much Filipino um yeah uh so I uh essentially like I I've spent my entire life in the Philippines and coming to Yale is my first 
Yeah, it was, it was my first time being in the U.S. for very long. So I think it's uh, I'm excited to talk about uh, identity, especially because I think it's it, it it was the first time that I ever on coming to the U.S. It was the first time that I ever really had to think about like race and identity and who I am as Filipino. Whereas I think for my American friends, it's very common like to to think about that on a, a daily basis. So yeah, I'm excited to talk with you guys. Yay, thank you. Yeah, we're so excited to sort of get into these topics and delve deeper and get to know you better. Um, so first, do you sort of just want to talk about your childhood and growing up in the Philippines? You know, what kinds of schools did you go to? And maybe what were some big issues that you were sort of grappling with, struggling with as you were growing up in the Philippines? Okay. Um. Yeah. Uh, so... So here in like in especially in Manila, this is true for the big cities. So I went to a I went we call them like I went to a Chinese school basically, and these are schools that were um like essentially like I mean like in the Philippines we don't like no one dis no one like discriminates where you can go to school. That's not a thing. But um there are schools where like a majority of the population is Filipino Chinese um. Uh, like man, like Chinese is a mandatory subject, and and like most of my friends were Filip- uh, were Filipino Chinese, and so growing up, I always considered myself Chinese, not Filipino, and because my family is more traditionally Chinese, they always make that distinction that like we are Chinese, we're like there's always a point to like set ourselves apart from like being Filipino, and I think that's that that ties into like not forgetting the heritage but but also like a sense of like um a sense of like okay this is who we are and like we have to make sure the kids like stick that in their heads and so growing up sorry i i realize that that's such a long way of saying i'm chinese but <laughs> um but but anyway so yeah for um for most of early childhood i considered myself chinese um, and then in high school, I moved to a government school. So I went to a, I went to a public science high school, and there, like almost all of my classmates were like pure Filipino, as in like they, as in like they speak Filipino fluently, um, no stutters. Whereas like my Filipino was like broken, and uh, like we only spoke English in the in the Chinese school, and so it was such a big culture shock. Because I think that was the first time that I was kind of like, whoa, like, this is so weird that, like, I don't, like, like I feel like I just don't fit in. Um, and it was, and it, and it was, like, it was, like, a constant, it was a constant, like, source of jokes that, like, oh, you're Chinese, like, you're different in so many ways. And, and that was the, I think, going into, a, like, an, an almost all Filipino high school was the first time that I ever kind of realized that, hey, I'm, I'm equally as Filipino as I am Chinese. And it's it's super interesting that even though um Filipinos and Filipino Chinese all grow up in the same like we although we grow up in Manila, there is such different things that I can like like the cultures are just so different. Things like my Filipino friends could have sleepovers, no problem. Or like they could go out and take a car and like come back at 11 p.m. and that was like fine and we were in high school and like my families was like they were super strict about like okay like 
you you can't go out you can't um i mean i mean like and of course it's different for different kinds of families right there are much more there are much more there are stricter filipino parents and looser chinese parents but i think the stereotype here for filipino chinese like amongst us is that like super strict parents and so um it was like high school was a yeah high school was basically a time when i kind of realized like whoa like there's a whole nother world that i have like have not been exposed to but over time like i grew to i grew to find that more like i grew to i grew to embrace my filipino mess even more and so now that i'm at yale you know it's it's like i i feel fully filipino especially now that like we're so few honestly like i really feel the filipino mess yeah i wanted to ask a little bit more about like your parents and like what were some things that they did at home and that you guys sort of did at home in terms of like cultures and traditions that made you really feel like you were Chinese rather than Filipino? Mm, um, well, it's interesting. I think a lot of my Filipino friends are on a best friend level with their parents, if that makes sense. Like, uh, mm. they can, they're, and I mean, well, I, I don't want to generalize because of course, like, you know, um, but I, I have a bunch of friends who don't fit that mold. But how I generally see it, I guess, is that um, my Filipino friends are on a best friend level with their parents. Um, they're very open about a lot of things. Whereas with my, with for me and a lot of my Filipino Chinese friends, there's a stricter hierarchy in in the sense that like um, there's a distance between me and my parents in that sense, uh, meaning that like. And and this factors into things like uh, how I act around them. I I like I know I'm I'm much more uptight when I'm like at home because like that that is how we're like expected to be. Um, in terms of like how we talk, it's very I think it's much more, um, much more formal. And also like the dynamic in the sense that, like yeah, like my Filipino friends are are given a lot more liberties. I think in that sense that. Like liberties, like that. I guess Filipino Chinese parents would not nece- necessarily give. So in terms of hanging out and, but I mean, I, I um like the the like the stereotype of like doing um kumon and piano or violin. Where like it's funny because like you know when I see it on such Asian traits, it's like oh my god, that's it. It's funny because it's a stereotype, but it's so true. And like, especially for Filipino Chinese people, I feel like that was all, like all of us were brought up that way. Like it was just, it was the norm. Whereas I come to high school and like, I have friends who they're like, no, like, why would I do that? And I'm just like, whoa, okay. Like how, how, okay. But yeah, so that's, those are some of the differences. Hmm. I actually worked at Kumon in my senior mm-hmm. year of high school. And like before that, I'd see memes back Kumon all the time on subtle Asian traits. And I never went to Kumon, but I did go to some weekend prep schools. And I felt like the experience was generally the same so that I was still able to relate to those Kumon memes. Um, but I wouldn't say that going to weekend prep schools was a huge part of my childhood. but you know, like in my neighborhood, I knew a lot of kids who were also going to prep schools and all of my cousins had gone to prep schools as well. So I felt like growing up, it was a pretty common experience. 
But when I got to high school and when I was meeting people in my extracurriculars outside of school, I realized that a lot of them had never gone to prep schools before. And, you know, like it just wasn't something that they had done or like their parents had um, enrolled them in. And yeah, so like meeting them, it was sort of like, wow, like this wasn't part of your growing up experience. So I definitely feel you on that, LJ, on that like sort of like eye-opening realization. Mm. Moving on, though, what made you apply to Yale? You know, like, why did you want to go to school abroad? Um, hmm. Uh, well, it's okay. It, it, it's interesting because to be, to be very honest, I don't think I was actually dead set on studying abroad. I know that. Um, especially because because I went to a government school, um, studying abroad wasn't a, it wasn't like, it wasn't an option for like it was never like in anyone's horizon. You know, like the stereotype from our school was that after going to our school, um, you would go to the national university basically, which is like the, it was like the stereotypical pathway of a student from our high school, and so, um, the reason why I started thinking about going abroad was because um my friends from my my friends from my previous school from my Filipino Chinese school um a lot of them went abroad and that's the only time that I kind of seriously started thinking about like oh like going abroad is actually a possibility and it's yeah it's the only time I started like considering going out of the country and of course I had I did have a lot of uh, I did have a lot of like apprehensions about going abroad, but in the end, I think I chose to go abroad because, uh, well, first and foremost, I wanted to study statistics, and I thought the U.S. would be a like the like technologically the U.S. like is much more advanced in that sense, and so if there was any opportunity, I would take it. Um, second was also that I did see that you know my friends abroad were having a good time and (laughs) and 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 not just and not just good time in the sense of like oh like freedom or whatever but good time in the sense that like it it's a like while we're young and while there's a chance to like just be in a different country um you know meet people who are totally different from the people you've grown up around like take it and so I mean and I was very I'm very fortunate to have the, to have the, you know, to have the chance to to take it. But um, yeah, and and so when, like, I don't know when when results came out, I was like, okay, wow, like this is it's happening, and and now I'm here. <laughs> I have a follow up question, LJ. You mentioned that when you got to Yale's campus, you fully embraced your Filipino identity. Can you speak a little bit more about that? Like earlier, you said in high school, you felt equally Chinese and Filipino. So what led you to feel more strongly Filipino than Chinese once you came to college? Or maybe more specifically, once you came to Yale? Um, it, it was just that, I guess, when I got to Yale, I felt all the more Filipino because there were so few of us. And it was kind of like, you know, it's like when you're like, like the Filipino, both the Filipino and Filipino American population at Yale, I I think is isn't very big, especially compared to like, like Chinese Americans, Korean Americans, like 
Um, so, like, in that sense, you know, it, it just kind of felt like, it almost feels like I was a, like, you're kind of like a representative <laughs> in a way. And it's just like, I guess, in that, um, man, this is a good question. <laughs> um, I guess in that, in that sense, I, I don't, I don't think I necessarily thought like, okay, when I get there, like, I'm particularly going to seek out the Filipino group or I'm, I'm going to make it a point to emphasize, like I'm Filipino, but I guess over time, I just came to realize that like, yes, like there are a lot of things about home that I do miss. And that I think that, that just, that just does make me feel very Filipino. And, and when I say things that I miss, it's not, it, um, it's not just because I'm a, I mean, when I like things that I miss include like the humor of people back home or what people talk about, the, you know, definitely like the culture. Um, and so I guess in that sense, I didn't come to Yale thinking like I have to like that. I'm going to like, I'm going to emphasize I'm Filipino, but I guess through experiences, I kind of realized that like, yeah, like I, I am pretty Filipino and, and uh, I am Filipino. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is a great segue to um, our next set of questions. We wanted to ask more about your experience being Filipino in the context of Yale. Mm. And um, first, I know you're a pretty active member of Kasama, which is Yale's Filipino club. And I guess, like, what were you hoping to get out of joining Kasama? And, like, what did you get out of joining and being a pretty active member of that club? Ah, um, well, man, thank you for calling me an active member. I feel like, I feel like I don't deserve active member, you know, that has to go to like, that has to go to like Kaylee and Anna and Orvin, who are like the, the, the supreme, the supreme, like, uh, the hard carries of Kasama and <laughs> uh, Enrique. But, um, I think when I, when I got there, it, um, I think when I joined Kasama, it wasn't, it was I don't think I was looking for anything in particular because I I don't think I was I was I don't think I was going into into it feeling like, oh my god, I, I have to become like best friends with these people or I have to like I have to I have to like make all these connections. Not necessarily. I think I went to Kasama um simply because like oh, okay, like the Filipino club is here. I would like to get to meet them. Um if I can if I can make friends definitely i'd love to take the up i'd i'd love to take the chance and i did um and like i i did become like the the people in kasama are great um like it's i mean it's it's just interesting because i think philip like in general right like the it's it's interesting because i think the story of overseas filipinos is so common back home and now i kind of realize like wow i'm actually like I'm living and studying with overseas Filipinos, like, you know, like, and, and now it's like, I get a whole, I get a whole window of insight into uh, like experiences that I hear about so often, but don't actually like get to like people who I don't actually get to talk to otherwise. And so it's just super interesting to see like how, like what Philip, like what the Filipino communities are like in the U S um, and so 
what did I get out of joining friends? Definitely friends and good food, guys. Like, <laughs> like good guys. It's 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 the bomb. <laughs> um, yeah. I I can attest to that. I've been <laughs> to some of your guys's events, and y'all have great food. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. That's props to our. That's props to the board. They they they're like all great at <laughs> great at cooking. Um, but yeah, it's uh, definitely it's it is a community that I'm I'm happy to be in touch with, and I think it's it's actually also really cool because I think when I on the rare occasion that I get to talk to like other other Filipino graduates of Yale, like Kasama always comes up in conversation. And it's it's just cool that I you know you know like when I'm when I'm like attending a Kasama dinner I don't really think like wow there's so much history it's just like okay wow there's rice and like guys I'm I'm so happy <laughs> but like it's it's only like when I'm you know like when you're speaking with alumni then you realize like wow like we're present at Yale you know and like there's a history behind it and it's only then that I kind of realize like wow this is a it, it's a thing you know and like and it 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 does make me very happy to like kind of feel like, yes, you know, we have, like, there is a group for us and, you know, like, a place where you can actually have Filipino food and talk about different Filipino and Filipino-American experiences. I actually have a quick follow-up question. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I know you briefly mentioned how after you came to the U.S. and came to Yale, you started started thinking more about race and your identity, mm. and it's not something that you really talked about maybe um, previously in the Philippines, yeah. or maybe you started thinking about it in a different way and that yeah. your Filipino identity became more prominent. Do you think, do you feel like being a part of Kasama was a part of that? Um, huh. So I guess being part of, I think being part of Kasama helped bring out even more this sort of, this love for the Philippines and this sort of like, yeah, you know, we are, um, I, I don't know. I think all the more, it's just like what, like the, 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 the space Kasama takes up in like in my life at Yale is this kind of like constant reminder that like, yes, you know, you are Filipino. Um, don't forget that. And, and, and like the, so what of that, I guess for me is that, um, it's a constant reminder that like, you know, being at Yale is such a, it's a great experience that I want to pass on to other people. So I hope that like, so like, th- sorry, this is, this is like super tangential, but because I'm so far from home often, um, like I came to Yale knowing that like, I wanted to return to the Philippines, knowing that I want to work here. Um, and that hopefully one day, you know, we, my goal is to sort of, hopefully contribute to the country in some way. And I think being, and I think the, the role that Kasama plays in, in like being in, like being at Yale is sort of a constant reminder that like, yeah, you're Filipino and don't forget that your goal, um, your ultimate goal in being here is to one day go back and to um, be in the country. And so I think that's, in terms of identity, Kasama is like a constant reminder that like, hey, don't forget that. Hey, stick to your goal, and so uh, that's uh, yeah, that's that's where Kasama fits into all of that. Hmm. Yeah, 
it's really interesting that even in high school, you were already thinking about going to school abroad and returning home to the Philippines so that you could serve your own country and your own countrymen. Um, and yeah, like you, like you mentioned, it was your goal, in fact, when you first came to Yale. But now that you're halfway through your college experience, do you still feel like that's your life trajectory? Yeah, at, at this point, I, I definitely do. Um, and I guess that's... I guess that's also because I think being in the U.S. kind of shows shows you everything that the Philippines doesn't have, in a sense. And it it's it's super crazy because I think when I talk to my friends in the U.S., you know, and, and of course, like, I see that the U.S. isn't perfect. And, like, a lot of my friends are like, yeah, you know, like, government is like this, government is like that. But I guess from a third, like, from a third-party perspective, it's just kind of crazy like wow you guys have all this technology um wow the government actually does this for you the government does that and so in that sense it's it's just kind of like oh my god like we don't have this you know it's, so it's like it's kind of an even bigger reminder that like oh my god you know you have like you like you have to do something and hmm. this is this is me talking this is me talking now i guess you know and um and the, and the reason why i keep telling myself that and even like you know being like saying it here is because I think um I I think this is all like all in hopes of like trying to sort of remind myself that like yeah you know this is the goal and to hold myself accountable to that goal I guess I see so like it feels almost like an obligation to the Philippines to bring back like you said um these ideas of like what the government could be doing for its people and like perhaps technology related things as well. Yeah. Um, I, I thank my high school for that. Like the teachers did a really good job. I think of instilling this idea that like, because in high school we were all studying on government money. So it, it was all like, um, it was, yeah, we, we were all scholars. And so given that they made it a point to kind of remind us that like, Yes, you know, like you owe it, you owe it to the to the Philip to the Philippines to kind of to to pay it, to pay it back, and like and I and I do believe in that, like genuinely, it's I guess it's 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 no longer a sense of like obligation or like oh my god I have to do this. It's like I would gladly do it. You know, it's yeah, yeah. Thank you. I think also um, if we can go back to Kasama really quick. You know, like obviously being in that organization puts you in um, close interaction with a lot of Filipinos, both international and Filipino Americans. Just like from your interactions, do you feel like there are just some experiences or feelings about your identity that are very different between Filipinos um, who are native to the Philippines and Filipino Americans? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, Super, like especially... I guess, like, in terms of identity, um, well, the biggest difference, I guess, is just that a lot of times I, you know, there there are some things that I just don't get. Like, especially when they, I think with my Filipino-American friends, the American part is very big, like, from my perspective. Meaning, they make references, and then sometimes I just kind of, like, smile and nod, like, oh, yeah, definitely, but... Like I have no idea what's going on, and which is admittedly a common experience 
with American friends in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in that extent, right, I like to that extent, there isn't always a match. Meaning like, you know, a lot of the jokes that I would make back home about like politics back home, you know, definitely like they don't translate. Um, and and initially, and initially, yeah, it was like, oh my God, like I they, they don't get me. What am I going to do? But at this at this point, it's it like before it was a difference that I had a hard time with because I was just like, man, I was looking for a community and like this doesn't feel like the best fit. But now it does because the differences like honestly make it more interesting. Meaning when I talk to them, I learn I, I learn stuff and like I learn more about U.S. culture. So yes, there is a difference between Filipinos and I mean like I do feel like there is a difference between like um meeting Filipino American friends um highlighted the differences in culture between like Filipino international students and Filipino Americans. But nonetheless, I'm very happy to like have Kasama and have the people in Kasama to to be around. Do you have any like specific examples of like maybe jokes or references that are just lost on either you or the Filipino Americans that you're talking to? Ah, yeah, like, okay, so like when Orvin plays music, sometimes I'm like, wow, like this is so, this is so foreign to me, you know? And it's, it's super, it's super interesting because it, it's super interesting also because I feel like, I feel like Filipino American I don't know, like, the Filipino-Americans I know are super into, like, old-school Filipino music. Like, the Filipino music that, like, my parents listen to. And, like, if you were going to play that here, like, our generation would be like, what the hell is, like, like who listens to this? But, like, it's super interesting because when they say, like, Filipino music, that's the Filipino music they listen to. And, I mean, like, it just in that sense, it's... It's super different. And and also like when they talk about politics. Because hmm. um although I am in the US and of course like I hear about like I I hear about the politics from time to time. Um I think a lot of like the politics that I follow is still largely ab- about home. And so and so like I am like not gonna lie, I am pretty clueless about US politics because I'm like quite immersed still in what's going on back home and so like when there are sometimes conversations that come up about like um what's going on in the democratic like the democratic race or um what trump recently did i'm just like oh wow like what like like what what is this and it's it it's super interesting but it's also sometimes kind of like it's just weird that you know in the middle of a filipino discussion i kind of realize like oh my god like the people I'm sitting with are are also like just so diverse and so different. And it's just, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, LJ. And sorry that I'm kind of jumping around a bit. I, I, I should have asked this in the very beginning, but just to um, contextualize this for any listeners who maybe haven't lived in the Philippines before, mm-hmm. how racially diverse would you say the country is? Uh, n- not at all. <laughs> not at all. Like we're, I mean, like, I I don't have like statistics like offhand, but like I feel like almost like, basically everyone is like Filipino, 
and it's and it's super interesting because you know like when when people see like anyone who is like not filipino on the street they're like whoa a foreigner like i mean like and and it happens especially in like how new york is divided into boroughs for example like metro manila is divided into like smaller cities and there are certain cities where all of the expats live like um where all of the like where all of the foreigners live and it's just super interesting because like even when i pass like when i pass there i'm like oh my god like it's so different and it's it's it was almost kind of shocking like when i first came to the u.s and like oh my god like wow i'm surrounded by like people of so many different ethnicities like how is this possible and it's just it, it's it's just it's crazy like it's just crazy like the the difference in which is also why i think um it, it yeah which is also why i think it's super different like now now I get why talking about race is such a thing in the U.S. Like because it's literally all around you, whereas like back home it's it's such a different world. Right. Yeah. And going off of that, um, mm-hmm. what similarities and differences are there between how people talk about race and also maybe you know just being Asian or Filipino in the Philippines and how people talk about race in the U.S. Oh, um. I think back home, it's, to be honest, I actually, I I honestly don't think that, like, race is very much talked about, at least for, like, for people back home. Whereas, like, now in the U.S., I often find myself having conversations about, like, oh, because, like, um, in this culture, this is how they see it. Uh, And, like, in this culture, this is how they, they interact with parents or, like, how the food is or, um, like, in the U.S., it's just, it's just everywhere and i feel like in in that sense it's it's super cool that i like we i guess get to have so many conversations about race and ethnicity whereas back home i i feel like there just isn't like it was so rarely talked about with, between me and my friends i think yeah it, it was almost just not a thing it like for me the only time it the only time it came up when like people would be when we would be talking about like the differences between Filipinos and Filipino Chinese, but like the conversation didn't. It I don't think it ever went beyond that in that sense. Gotcha. So it was more like, you know, I'm Filipino, you're Filipino. Like we have this mutual understanding, we're good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, like if you made me have a conversation with my friends at home about race, like I would not know what to talk about. Like literally. I wouldn't know. Whereas, like, in the U.S., like, now I get it. It's, like, there, there is so much to talk about because it factors into your lifestyle and just how you interact with different people. Um, and so it's, like, it's a really, really different experience. So as I mentioned in the introduction, LJ, last semester I took a sociology course called Race, Ethnicity, and Migration. And there was one particular article that I thought was really interesting when we were going over it in class. And it's one that I've thought a lot about since then. So the article was about how Filipinos self-identify. And the researchers found that the majority of people they interviewed self-identified more with Latinos than they did with Asians even though technically Filipinos are Asians. And there were a whole bunch of reasons that the study participants identified for this trend. And a lot of it goes back to Spanish occupation of the Philippines. 
like many of the interviewees cited the similarities between Spanish and Tagalog and the importance of religion to both Spanish and Filipino culture because Christianity was one of the things that the Spanish brought with them during colonization. And like both of those things, you know, linguistic similarities and Christianity are not really shared with Asians. Like there's no Asian language that's similar to Tagalog and Asian Christians are definitely still a minority. But I'm curious, LJ, do you or do you know anyone in the Filipino or Filipino-American community who self-identifies more with Latinos than with Asians? Yeah, th- I find this super interesting. And thanks for like, yeah, thank you for bringing it up. Um, I think it's, I was super surprised because I like, I feel like a lot of Filipino-Americans like vibe a lot with like the Latino community on campus. Which was something I never, I, like, it never even crossed my mind that, like, that, like, Filipinos and Latinos would be, like, how do you say it, would be a pairing. Or, like, I, I don't know, that sounds terrible, but um, that, like, that the two cultures would be so similar. Um, I, like, admittedly, I, it's super interesting that it actually happens in the U.S. Just because I feel like back home, if you ask my, me or my friends like we would say we look at them as foreigners or like we look at latinos as as foreigners like like we're filipino and they're latino and they're these are two different like these are two like they're they're different whereas like um yeah it's just it's cool that you know filipinos and uh filipino americans vibe so well with the latino community um definitely it's it's a it's a thing but <laughs> Yeah, so LJ, that's all of the questions that we've prepared for you. Um, Mm -hmm. But before we let you go, we always at the end of episodes do rapid fire questions just so we can get to know our guests a little bit more and in more of a fun context. So are you ready for your rapid fire questions? Yes, let's do it. (laughs) Okay, first one. What is your go-to karaoke song? Um, Billie Eilish. Anything Billie Eilish. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. I can't sing it well. I I, I suck at singing, but Billie Eilish. (laughs) (laughs) Which Kasama event has been your favorite this past year? Barrio Fiesta, guys. Like, it was my first time. Okay, because, like, back home, I never danced. And so, like, it was my first... It was my first time done. This was my first time like doing any of these Filipino traditional dances. Um, so definitely by far, um, Barrio Fiesta. Can you maybe tell the listeners a little more about what Barrio Fiesta is? Oh, so it's the it's the annual Filipino cultural show. So there's guys, there's great food. Um, they like like people people sing and all the Filipinos like and we do the traditional dances. Um. And it's like a tradition, I think, that has been passed down from like generation to generation. So if you guys get the chance, definitely, please stop by. <laughs> of course, definitely. What's your favorite Filipino tradition? Favorite Filipino tradition? Um, I, man, um, honestly, just eating. Like, I feel like that's a tradition in itself, just eating. Like, that's all we do, yeah. <laughs> me and my friends. It's just, I'm like, it's, and I guess, like, the food culture is different. I, I, there's maybe not a tradition, but the food culture is definitely different. What would be your favorite Filipino food, then? Um, 
sinigang. It's uh, it's like it's it's soup um that's made with tamarind. It's sour. Uh, it has vegetables, pork, and I I don't think it gets as much hype as it should. Like mm-hmm. I I hope like I hope it becomes a thing. <laughs> And finally, for any, you know, class of 2024 students um, who may be listening, what is one thing that you wish you knew coming into Yale? Oh, um, man, this is a good rapid fire question. Um, take prereqs, guys. They matter. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I... This year, I thought you could do without them. And I realized the hard way that it's difficult. <laughs> so yeah, take prereqs. All right, guys, you heard it from LJ. Make sure you take your prerequisites. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Yeah, of course, LJ. Thank you so much for coming on to Homecoming and talking about your experiences growing up in the Philippines and transitioning to the U.S. and talking about race. Um, I know that I personally learned so much about you and your perspective on all of these things. And I definitely, I I think we both of us had a lot of fun um, recording this with you. So we really, really appreciate it. And thanks once again for coming on to the podcast. Uh, Thank you guys for having me. And it was great getting to talk to you guys. Our second guest today is Jasmine Rios, a rising senior at Yale from Chicago. Jasmine, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, Jasmine, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today. Um, We're really excited to have you. Do you want to first introduce yourself to our listeners maybe a little bit more? You can explain who you are at Yale, um, but also in the real world. And feel free to go into as much detail as you want. Sure. Uh, so as they mentioned, my name's Jasmine. Um, I'm going to be a senior, yes, <laughs> yikes, in Branford. Um, I'm a history of science and medicine major. Um, that's something that's really important to me. Um, I'm really excited actually to get started on my senior thesis, which actually I'm not 100% sure what it's going to look like right now, but I think might have to do with um, Filipino health and like under American imperialism. So I'm pretty excited about that. Um, but outside of that, uh, I am from Chicago, as they mentioned. I love it. I've grown up here um, in the same house my whole life. Um, I'm the oldest of three. I have a younger sister and a younger brother. And then my parents are both um, immigrants themselves. My dad is from uh, Mexico. Um, he's from Chihuahua. And my mom is from uh, the Philippines. She's from Lucena City. Um, I guess at Yale, I basically do dance. That is probably the number one thing I do. I dance with Yale dancers, as well as rhythmic blue. Um, Yale dancers is kind of like modern jazz, ballet, and rhythmic blue is hip hop, um, which definitely makes me sound cooler than I actually am. Um, But besides that, I do uh, a bunch of, I'm pre-med as well. So I think a lot of my um, other extracurricular extracurriculars um, would probably resonate with other pre-meds. I do a lot of work with health literacy. So I work with uh, community health educators. I do HAPPY, which is Hypertension Awareness Project, um, as well as just a couple more fun ones for me where I just go and teach dance to some kiddos. Um, I'm the president of City Step, as well as participating in an organization called Peristalsis. And both of them teach dance in like different situations to uh, kids that 
um, are in New Haven. So that's something that's really fun for me. Um, but generally, uh, let's see, outside of school, <laughs> it's kind of been interesting being home. I think like reminding myself of, you know, what I do when I don't have class. Um, I would like to consider myself a pretty like creative person. I've been baking a lot. I picked up embroidery, which is Ooh. sick and also makes me feel like I'm a grandmother. <laughs> but um, I tried to get back into knitting, but it like makes my hands cramp. So that's a no go. <laughs> but oh. yeah, I think that's that's most of it. <laughs> Seems like you're doing a lot of great things during quarantine. <laughs> Good for you. I'm trying. Mostly I've been watching Netflix. <laughs> totally valid. <laughs> Yeah, amazing. Thank you, Jasmine. We also just wanted to have a little disclaimer before we get to know you a little better and ask you some questions. Mm -hmm. um, we wanted to say that, you know, even though Jasmine is mixed race, we wanted this episode to specifically focus on her Filipina side and experiences. So we just wanted to have like a little disclaimer and say that we're not trying to discount like your Mexican identity. We're just trying yeah. to focus more on the Filipina side today. Um, but we will definitely have questions about both sides. Um, yeah. So let's start with the questions. Yeah. So first, were there any similarities between the Mexican and Filipino cultures and traditions that really surprised you? Um, and what were some major differences that you observed as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think at their like roots, I think that they're very similar cultures. Um, they're both as I know them, my experiences with um, my Filipino and Mexican heritage is they've been very boisterous, like very loud, very community-based. Um, and that's something that I definitely take for granted. I mean, our family get-togethers are always really loud on both sides. Um, and family is, you know, at the forefront, um, which I'm sure a lot of families can say. But I think that it's something that's very integral to both um, of my cultures. And it's something that I love. Um, something that I guess I was really surprised at. I um, don't speak either language very well, but there are a lot of words that are very similar um, in the languages. I mean, I guess it's not that surprising, like as I grow up and I learned the history of like colonization and all that jazz, but I think it was interesting, like just hearing a couple of phrases that would mean the same thing. Um, even like what I call my family members, like tita and tito in Tagalog means like aunt and uncle and in Spanish, it's like tío and tía. So it's very similar. Um, so there's that. There's also a lot of dishes that are actually like quite literally the exact same thing. There's like a dish called caldo um, that's the same in the Philippines and in Mexico. So I think that um, that's really cool because there's a lot of ties that kind of let me understand my culture as one big amalgamation versus like two separate cultures that I had to kind of partake in a little bit, you know, when I was at my. Um, abuelo's house or like a little bit when I was at my lolo's house so that's you know my Mexican and my Filipino side respectively um there are I mean some differences I think it's also dependent on like which of my family members are here in Chicago I am I would say closer to my mom's side which is the Filipino side just because there's a lot more of them in the U.S. Um, a lot of my dad's side is actually still in Mexico and they also there's um a bigger like language barrier. Um, my grandparents on my dad's side don't speak much English. So I would say that it can be kind of like tough to connect as I'm sure anybody who has, you know, family members who there's kind of a language barrier can relate to. So I do think that 
with my mom's side, we are a lot tighter. Um, but I still, again, I think that family is very big in both. As far as other differences, I mean, I don't know. I, I see them pretty similarly. Like we're both super Catholic as well. Um, and that's like a big part of celebrations. Um, so definitely church, I guess, is like a unifying thing. Maybe food a little bit, but every culture has their own food. So yeah, I, I honestly think that in my eyes, they are very similar. I think that maybe my Mexican culture is a little more reserved and a little more um, homogenous. Like my uh, grandparents and basically two of my, um, one of my aunts and one of my uncles, they all live in one house and they live in a neighborhood that is very Mexican. Whereas my Filipino side, they're a little more spread out, a little more um, maybe integrated into the community. Um, again, it, I think it has to do a lot with the spaces they occupy, um, like their occupations, as well as like the lack of a language barrier that I think has allowed uh, for maybe a little bit more like social mobility in um, Chicago. But I mean, there's also a lot of Mexicans and Filipinos in both. So there's, it's a good community. <laughs> and when you were growing up, did you feel like your race and being Filipino was really at the forefront of your mind? Did you, and did you feel like your race was something that you realized yourself, you know, within the context of your home? Or was it something that you realized from outside pressures, like from peers and at school? Mm-hmm. I, I think, I'm not actually sure. I feel like sometimes people have a story of like when they first realized that they, you know, that their race was kind of an identifying factor. I can't like pinpoint when that happened for me. I think that my parents, like, I think that I've always been connected to my culture. Um, I'll just be talking about Filipino, I guess, from here on out. But like, I felt very connected to my Filipino culture just because all of my family was and they, still had very strong ties to a Filipino community, both here and back home. So I think that that was always something that was a part of my everyday life. But as far as like race and the like color of my skin, I definitely don't think that I recognize that until, you know, you go to school and you go to school with kids who look a little different from you. Um, I think that's probably the biggest like structural factor in how I um, consider my race I think that being Filipino is always kind of interesting because <laughs> you're like a, a tan a brown beige maybe like it's kind of hard to fit into um, a lot of the categories that you see or that people are trying to place themselves into um, as far as race and so I think that um, I don't know that it was conscious until I was older but definitely growing up I mean I danced a lot growing up and so a big part of that is that you're staring at yourself and your classmates in a mirror for many hours a day. And I think that, you know, kind of noticing that you don't look the same as them or like your features are a little different, not just skin tone. I think that there's a lot of um, self-reflection that goes on in dance that maybe other kids don't have until later on. But that's probably something that I internalized pretty early on. But I don't know if it was always at the forefront of my mind. I think, again, I'm pretty lucky to be from Chicago where even though I might have been maybe more aware of it depending on the group of people that I was in it wasn't something that I actively felt like was um, something that I always had to be thinking about and I definitely like recognize my privilege and being able to say that you know I 
think that that's not true for every race category. And I think that that's not true for every Filipino, even in the U.S. But I think that, again, it just is kind of a product of where I grew up as well. Hmm. And do you feel like after you came to Yale, race and your identity became more prominent and you started thinking about it more? Yeah, I do think so. I think, interestingly, it kind of felt like a shift from like culture to race, which is something that I didn't like get at first. I think that I'd always been in a space that was very multicultural, that was very multiracial. And so it wasn't something that I, again, actively thought of. It was very much like ethnic identity was celebrated. There's a lot of little pockets of um, like immigrant populations in Chicago. So, you know, white wasn't just white. It was like Italian and German and black wasn't just black. It was Nigerian and Ghanaian. And, and I think that coming to Yale, it's not like as a cat, not as a result of cultural centers, but I think that that's like kind of a good way to think about it is, you know, there's cultural centers is what they're called, but we're separated by race. And I think that, you know, each, each culture and each ethnic is, sorry, I cannot talk. Ethnicity is definitely celebrated, but um, it feels different when there's a super majority of, you know, white um, and even amongst Asians, there's a super majority of East Asians from my experience at Yale. So I definitely do think that, again, my race um, kind of became something that I thought more about and where I fit in terms of um, the categories that existed at Yale and in such a like an elite um, space. Yeah. And something else that I wanted to bring up was that when you sent me your bio and you sort of you know, told us a little bit more about yourself. You said this line that was really interesting and I wanted to bring it up. So you said, I think there's a lot of pigeonholing to belong to a group, even something like the AACC or La Casa, where I feel like my tendencies to try to assimilate into classically white spaces like Greek life or dance groups devalue my Filipino or Mexican identities. And I feel like this is a very interesting statement and it's really powerful. And I was wondering if you could sort of expand on what you said there and sort of explain how you balanced trying to enter these spaces that tend to be white while simultaneously trying to enter spaces that were full of POC and minorities. Yeah. Absolutely. So I think with that, it's, um, it's kind of, so I think what I'm trying to say here is that I feel like I know that I can belong to the, in the AACC. I know that I, there is a space for me in La Casa and I appreciate that they exist and that they offer, you know, the resources that they do. But at the same time, I think that there is a lot about my personal relationship with my culture that makes it difficult for me to claim a true sense of belonging there and I think it's kind of Mm -hmm. hard to to explain but I know like La Casa like language is a big thing like you know Latino it's not even always or Hispanics are not always considered a race right you're connected by a language and it's a language that I can't speak fluently I didn't grow up speaking and so that's something that I feel like I've always grown up trying to mix in with whatever crowd Um, I grew up in a pretty white neighborhood. I love Chicago and I love that I got to go to a school with lots of people who didn't or who looked maybe like me or didn't look like me. And that was really great. But my neighborhood at home and, you know, where I went for middle school, super white. And so I definitely found that 
I sort of pressure to belong in those kind of places. And so I think like speaking Spanish or not speaking Spanish, not speaking Tagalog were kind of conscious efforts in my grandparents' parts and my parents' parts to get me to really thrive in this very American sense, like white picket America. And so I think Mm -hmm. that that kind of became my way of existing and trying to thrive in spaces where you know whiteness is celebrated or maybe not consciously but it is and so I think that you know it's tricky for me too even being in the AACC like I even amongst other Asians Filipinos you know in South Asians we look a lot different from the face of the AACC which is typically East Asian um, and you know we don't share a whole lot culturally I think Filipinos in particular even you know my um like South Asian friends, my Indian friends, it's very different cultures and they're very robust. And I think that, you know, the ACC is a wonderful place, but it can be hard if you feel like you don't, you don't really have a claim to that space because maybe you don't speak your language, uh, the language. I've been to the Philippines one time and I was two and I caught typhoid. Like I have not been back since because my parents are scared. Like I don't have a, I feel as though I don't have a huge claim to uh, these cultural spaces. And maybe I did my freshman year when I was coming and it was a blank slate. But I think that a lot of the activities that I've put myself into in an attempt to kind of, you know, find my space at Yale. And I, I, I do like that I participate in Greek life. It has brought me some of my closest friends. But I'm also very aware that there are implications that come with that. You know, like it is a very white space. And a lot of times you'll be at a mixer or at a party. And, you know, there's a couple POC girls or there's a there's you know we went to a mixer at hockey and it was not a single POC person on that team so that's something that I think is very obvious in a way that I had only noticed at Yale and so I think that my in taking part in these sort of activities and understanding that I kind of act differently depending on which space I occupy. I think that that's something that I don't necessarily want to take lightly. And I also feel like that makes me a little less um, Filipino or a little less like Mexican and a little less um, able to occupy those spaces. And I think that that's kind of tricky and it's something that I've um, like had to realize about myself and make more of an effort to understand I think that if I was ever going to really understand my um, I guess identity my Filipino identity it would be in college right like there's so much academic support for it and but at the same time it can be for me a little difficult to put myself in these situations where because I don't surround myself with other Filipinos to this point I'm maybe a little less like Filipino than the next and I think that that's something that it, I was trying to capture in that statement I think that it feels like there's a tension like you can only be one thing and I know that that's not true and I know that there's like a bunch of multiracial people at Yale 100% but I think that it's just I don't know it's kind of hard to to feel as welcome if I can't necessarily speak the language or I, I didn't start early enough and I don't know I think that there's definitely some sort of tension there for me at least Well, I think it's really great that you're being so reflective about it and, uh, you know, like Mm -hmm. thinking a lot about your experiences and thinking a lot about 
race and your identity and how that sort of what role that plays at Yale. And because I feel like, I don't know, it's really easy to go through things mindlessly and not really Mm -hmm. think through like, oh, how do I sort of fit in? Like, what is the history of this space and the history of race and what role race plays in this space? But I think it's really great that you're at least thinking about it. Um, Yeah. I I think that that's in general speaking from my own experience and the experience of other like POCs who go through these kind of spaces is understanding that is kind of your responsibility. I think if you're mm-hmm. going to partake in uh, you know a, an organization or a structure that is like historically has been institutional is institutionally like oppressive towards people of color, um, any any people of color, then you have to understand that and you have to reflect on the ways that you're interacting with it for sure yeah for sure and um something else I want to bring up because I actually really relate to your experiences um relating to this is language I feel like language is something that can be really unifying but also really isolating and it it seems like you sort of feel the same way um Mm -hmm. I know that when I was growing up my my mom is Chinese and my dad is Korean, but I never really learned how to speak Korean very well at home. And so when I entered high school, my high school had a pretty prominent Korean population and community. But in my opinion, it was one that sort of felt isolating because I felt like if you didn't speak Korean, you basically weren't part of that community. And I remember when I first entered that school, And I went to this Korean barbecue near the beginning of the school year and everyone there was speaking Korean. And I just felt so, I I felt like such an outsider. And I just felt a lot of resentment from that because, you know, just because I couldn't speak the language didn't make me any less Korean. Mm -hmm. And like a lot of children and grandchildren of immigrants Yes, they they grow up speaking the language of their parents' homelands at home, but also a lot of people had that similar experience um, where their parents didn't want them to learn their respective languages because maybe they wanted them to feel more American or whatever the reason is. Um, Mm -hmm. And my question to you is, what do you feel like cultural spaces at schools like? At Yale, that would be the AACC, La Casa, the NACC, AFAM House, and also other ethnic organizations. Like, what do you think they could do better to be more welcoming to people who may not necessarily speak specific languages or vibe with specific cultural references or traditions, if that makes sense? Yeah, no, I I totally understand what you're talking about. and. I think also maybe you can relate to me. I mean, my parents like didn't just like yours probably didn't speak the same language. So, you mm. know, it's great that you learned Chinese or Mandarin, but I like similarly, my parents didn't speak the same language, even though they both can speak their languages. Like it wasn't something that we'd speak at home because they didn't speak the same thing. So that definitely um, kind of dropped when it came to me and my siblings. So I think that it's, Interesting because I actually don't know that many um, Filipinos who are like my of my generation, I guess, like our parents are immigrants that speak fluent Tagalog. 
unless both their parents moved here pretty late in life. Um, I, I think that there is definitely, um, there are spaces. I, I it's hard because I, I feel this more with La Casa and I know that we're, um, that I want to talk a little bit more about, um, you know, maybe the ACC, but I, I think maybe in general cultural centers, there, I feel like it really only exists that um, sort of isolation at La Casa because that is kind of the unifying thing for all of these different cultures, all these different countries is that, you know, you speak the same language. So I feel at least with La Casa, like I'm a little locked out from that particular space because I can't speak it. And but at the same time, I understand that that's something that you can find solidarity in, that that's something that you can kind of relate to you know, other people who maybe are from like completely different parts of the world as you, but, you know, you all speak the same language and may have like similar food. And that could be something that um, connects you and makes it really easy to find people to that remind you of home, I think, at Yale. But as far as the ACC, I felt it a little less, I think maybe because Filipinos are not like the largest sect of ACC. I don't think that we are, from my experience, like the overwhelming majority of like the Asian demographic at Yale I think that might come up a little more for um, people who maybe are like East Asian or South Asian I think that there's um, or Southeast Asian I think that there's a lot of chance for that sort of isolation definitely um, with language but that hasn't necessarily been my experience I know I went to um a Kasama event where we kind of talked about um, like Filipinx identity and being, you know, Filipino American. And it's interesting because there was a decent mix. There's actually a lot of Filipinos at Yale who are um who still live in the Philippines, so they're um international students. So obviously, you know, all of them speak Tagalog or some dialect of Filipino because that's where they live. But most of the um immigrant kids or kids of immigrants don't speak it at all or don't speak it fluently. So that's I think actually in of itself its own unifying factor like all of us trying to you know grapple with the fact that chances are you know the my family's language you know their native and first language is honestly going to die out with me and that's kind of stressful but it's also I think something that a lot of us can relate to and something that um in its own way is kind of unifying Jasmine, you mentioned earlier that because both of your parents' cultures are sort of similar in terms of language and food, um, you were able to view your identity growing up as one big amalgamation rather than two individual identities. Um, And I was wondering about this, like, did you ever feel like growing up you wanted to or had to balance that amalgamated um, minority identity with your American identity? Yeah. Um, So I think that it's kind of tricky. Um, I I think I've kind of spoken to this, but this kind of pressure to um, kind of fit in with, I guess, the more represented, more mainstream American culture. Um, I think that as I've grown up, I've kind of stopped feeling as pressured to do that. And I think that it's because I came to a realization that my grandparents and my parents feel this so heavily that it's kind of not 
something that I want to continue to feel like I need to balance. I feel very American. Like I was born here. Um, and you know, all I know is being American. And I think that Mm -hmm. having an Asian American identity or having a, a Latino American identity is unique. Um, I think that my parents have kind of grappled with that a little bit more and my grandparents even. I think that, you know, they say that statement, like nobody loves America more than immigrants, more than people who have to like fight to get in. Um, and I do think that's true. I think that I have, as maybe a lot of our generation has, like a lot of, maybe not resentment, but issues with um, America. And so I think that that's kind of been something where it's like, I grew up American, but I would really like to actually get more in touch with my, you know, the the first half of the hyphen, the Asian or the Latino. And so I think that um, it's kind of gone backwards. Maybe growing up, I did feel a little more pressure to be very, um, like, square cut, very typical, you know, American. I never really thought that I was that much different than my other friends. I was, you know, I would to ice skating, swimming, like all the rest of them. Um, and then I think, again, it wasn't until I got older and I started to um, understand the ways in which like my grandparents kind of gave up some of their culture so that they could be more American or my mom gave up some of her culture so she could be more American. Like my mom's name, she dropped it when she came here. Her name was Maria Veronica. Now it's just Veronica because her and my aunt like had the same first name. It's something you do. And um, where my where my uh, mom is from, but it didn't make sense to have two daughters named Maria here. So I think that there's like a lot of, I guess, kind of balancing that my um, mom has had to do. I think that being, I guess, second generation, I don't like a, you know what I mean? Like the daughter of an immigrant. um, I think that my, the rest of my family has had to do a lot of that grappling with the two um, sort of their home islands and then here um and I think that what I want to do and something that I have the ability to do in college is really understand more of my other or trying to rebalance I guess my Asian identity or my Latino identity and just kind of understand that a little bit better so yeah it definitely flipped somewhere along the line so, Jasmine, what are your thoughts about that sociology article I mentioned um, about how Filipinos self-identify? I know you brought up earlier that growing up, you didn't feel more compelled towards one of your parents' cultures than the other. But do you know anyone who does feel um, more familiar with the Latino culture and maybe self-identifies more with Latinos than with Asians? No, that's not. It seemed really cool. Like when you sent it to me, I was like, oh, interesting. Um, I don't think that I know anybody that would say like who's Filipino and is like, I am Latino. But something that's <clears throat> I feel kind of interesting is, you know, like uh, what is it called? 23andMe. Mm-hmm. When that started coming out, like so many of my Filipino like family members were like, oh, we're definitely like Spanish. Like there's Spanish in us, whatever. And um it was so interesting, like getting it back. Like, I don't know, I think there was maybe 1% um, Iberian Peninsula or something. My sister did it. Um, and I just thought it was so interesting, like, what, wondering why there was, there's like this desire to be Spanish and like, or something other than just Filipino. And I mean, I definitely, like, I feel like I know the answer. I think that it's, you know, it is kind of a desire, I guess, to, to um, claim whiteness and, I guess, a country that kind of celebrates whiteness. But 
at the same time, I don't think, I think that Filipinos in a lot of spaces kind of shift the way that they identify depending on which space they're identifying. I think that for me, I've always considered my Filipino side to be Asian because my other side is Latino. Like that to me, like Mexican is pretty stereotypical Hispanic. So I've always seen, you know, even though, again, I kind of consider them all as one, I at the same time, like recognize that Filipinos and Mexicans are, are different. And that because of, I think, the juxtaposition against like my Mexican side, my Filipino side is, is more Asian. And I think that, you know, my sister, she has a lot of um, other friends who are Asian. I think that she's done a better job at surrounding herself with maybe other POC than I have growing up but she definitely identifies as Asian um but then recognizes I think again because our other side is Latino that there's kind of a separation of that but I also know that like I have family members who are Filipino and they live in LA which has a huge um Latino population but also a really big Filipino population and I think that in that kind of situation where there's other Latinos like around you, you feel very familiar with them. I think that a lot, again, like I mentioned, a lot of the culture is similar, but I also think that um, when there's maybe people who are more pure Hispanic or more pure Latino, you feel, you know, kind of the opposite of that or not the opposite, but on the other spectrum. So it seems a little more um, Asian, but then I would say like for me amongst my Asian friends who are maybe like East Asian, I definitely I I would say I feel a little bit less of a claim to being Asian or identifying as Asian. So, I don't know. I think that again it kind of mix, maybe maybe not mixes, but like bends it a little bit depending on the the people that you're with or how other people who maybe fit more cleanly into these prescribed boxes identify and then from there you just kind of I, I don't know I personally just kind of figured out <laughs> yeah and to transition to something a little more uh light-hearted maybe <laughs> I know that you mentioned that you started to do cultural dancing in high school and that you still do it at Yale um could you talk about what cultural dancing means to you, what organizations you're part of. I already, I know you already briefly mentioned that, um, but you know, how cultural dancing strengthens the connection between you and your Filipino identity. Yeah. So I did it um, in high school a lot. I, I dappled in cultural dancing when I was younger. Dabbled, I said that wrong, but um, I didn't really get that into it until high school. Um, I there's different forms I think one of the biggest one is um called tinikling so that's like when you have the bamboo stick I also did there's like pandango I mean these are like folk dances so pandango you have like a candle on your head um and you do like a little sway pattern but I also actually used to compete um it was more traditional so there's kind of folk dances which are I would say like the kind of dances you do at a party or like you'd hire like a troupe to come to a party um and celebrate it's something that everybody can kind of recognize like the tune is the same the music is kind of set and then you can change up the choreography but then um this other style it was it's more storytelling it was um you tell like myths or stories that would that are typically passed down like through oral tradition and what we did in high school there's again a, a pretty big 
Filipino population in Chicago. So there was enough um, kind of cultural group, um, I guess, organizations that existed at different colleges. And we just participated as a um, high school, but it was called like Battle of the Bamboo. So you do, you do this sort of um, storytelling through dance that was super, super cool. I'd never like been in a space with so many like young Filipinos. Like my grandparents hang out with old Filipinos all the time, but <laughs> I'd never been somewhere with like all these people who were college aged or like high school. Um, and just every like February, I think you'd show up like having practice for half a year and it's just really intricate. You, we would make our own, um, costumes, which, you know, took a lot of, um, understanding of what cultural clothing looks like and like garments and how we can weave that into, um, storytelling. Um, like one year I played a dragon, so I wouldn't necessarily wear like traditional, um, you know, Filipino like debut or like that's like the equivalent of like a quinceanera um, outfit, but it was more like uh, dark and I, I had to look like a, a dragon. <laughs> um, so I think that that was something that was super cool because through the storytelling, through being able to, you know, use my body and use, you know, collective energy, I guess, to tell the story, I learned a lot more about like myths that I probably wouldn't have heard of, but maybe if I was younger growing up in the Philippines would have heard of as like, a legend or something. Um, so that was a pretty cool way to connect. And it, it was um, really cool for me because that was probably the first explicit effort I made, I think, to kind of reconnect with um, my Filipino heritage. And it I know that my grandparents loved it. <laughs> they thought it was the coolest thing. And again, like getting to talk to them about what the different stories were or, um, you know, my grandma used to do um, tinikling when she was younger, and my mom did as well. So that was something that, even though they didn't pass it down, it was something that we all had in, you know, in um, connection to one another. And I think that that was a really nice way to um, reappreciate it. And then in Yale, I actually got, I guess, involved with the Filipino community. I, I was not a part of Kasama my first year at Yale, but um my second year I was actually kind of missing it like it it was cultural dancing was a huge part of my high school experience and I think in general the experience of going to um a school in Chicago we have these things called international nights there's a lot of different clubs but in college I just missed it it wasn't that big of my part of my life um and I felt very overwhelmed I think with again, this I have mentioned, but like the tension of what kind of spaces I'm occupying and, you know, remembering my roots or however you want to say it. So I got um, reconnected, I think, through Pasama, which was really nice. And it was through dance. And um, we do this thing called Barrio. It's basically just, it means neighborhood. It's just a celebration that um, Kasama does at the end of the year. They invite community organizations that do traditional dancing as well. And then we put together a couple of different dances. We do the traditional, I think there's three. So there's tinikling, um, which is the bamboo stick, pandango, which is the candles, and then bunko, which is um, you just jump up and down. It's kind of crazy on benches. Um, and so that was, for me, a very, very comfortable way. It like, reminded me of back home of dancing in um, high school. And that was awesome because I had like met very few people in Kasama before and again I felt I think a little intimidated because I didn't start early enough or because I didn't speak the language and I met some really awesome people and it was something that felt familiar to me um I think that 
cultural dancing, you know, if you're, I mean, if you're lucky enough to um, be able to participate in the sort of thing, I think that it's so easy. You don't even have to talk like you, like the language is not a, not an issue there. Right. Like if you don't, I don't speak Tagalog, but like, that's okay. We're not talking in Tagalog when we're dancing. So I think that that's like really special to me. And it's also, I mean, dance has been part of my life forever. So. I really love that line you just said, Jasmine. I don't speak Tagalog, but that's okay. We're not speaking them. We're dancing. And I think all of what you've said so far about language is stuff that really resonates with me um, and are things that I've been thinking about my entire life. Like I didn't grow up learning Chinese and I speak a mix of Chinese and English at home with my parents. And it definitely wasn't an equal mix. You know, like it was definitely more English skewed than it was Chinese. And I didn't formally start learning Chinese in a classroom setting until senior year of high school. But when I first got to high school and college and when I was meeting all of these other ABCs, you know, American born Chinese, and I saw that they were all very fluent or maybe not all, but a lot of them were very fluent in not only Mandarin, but in their parents' dialects as well. And I sort of had to stop and I started questioning the legitimacy of my own claim to a Chinese identity. And I know that at the end of the day, my Chinese American identity is valid. And I know that I'm valid, even though my Chinese language skills aren't the best. But I still feel that guilt that one of the strongest bonds a person can have with their native cultures, you know, language isn't very strong at all for me. But like you said, Jasmine, language is only one part of culture, and there are so many other ways to stay connected, like through dancing. And that seems like a really great outlet, and I'm so glad that you found that. And would you say that you found a home in Kasama um, and in the Filipino community at Yale? Yeah, I don't know that I would consider it one of my homes. I think that I don't participate in enough events. Um, but it feels like home. Like I, I wouldn't consider it one of my main spaces on campus, but when I am with them and when we do like um, like Filipino cooking or something, like a breakfast, that feels very much like home. So something that's really nice for me is if I'm ever feeling like kind of homesick or I need the food, I'll like make one of my friends come with me to an event. And that mm-hmm. I think, again, it, it reminds you of home for sure. Is there anything that you wish the Filipino community on campus did more of? Um, I wish that we ate more, 100%. (laughs) It's like family dinners, um, but it's like weekly in Davenport. And I'm like, no, we eat this food every day. So I wish that we cooked more, um, maybe learned how to cook because I can't cook. I still rely on my family members to cook for me. (laughs) So that would be cool. Um, But yeah, I think maybe getting... Like barrio is so much fun, and I think that that's kind of the part of Filipino culture that appeals the most to me. Um, like the um, performance, and I think that that's actually a really big part of Filipino culture, like singing and dancing. And I would love if there was more like sustained um, practice for that. That would, I think, definitely be super fun. Hmm. Is there like a dedicated Filipino dance group on campus right now? No, there's not. Oh. You could yeah. make one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if people would be interested enough. That's the problem. I am I it's so interesting to me that there's not as many Filipinos at Yale. Or maybe I just don't know them. But from what I know, 
who is in Kasama. I feel like I know all of them and I it's not that many. So yeah, mm. maybe one day. <laughs> yeah, so that's all the questions we have prepared. But before we end the episode, we also wanted to do a fun segment of rapid fire questions just so people can get to know you better and in a more fun context. So Jasmine, are you ready for your rapid fire questions? Bring it on. (laughs) All right, first question. So you mentioned earlier that you're part of a lot of dance groups at Yale, like Rhythmic Blue and Yale Dancers. Is there one Mm -hmm. performance that you've put on with any of these groups that has been your favorite? Um, let's see. I don't know. We have, um, oh, Harvard, Yale, I think, actually. I, I mean, I love all of my shows. Everybody should come to them. Shameless plug. But we do this set um, every Harvard, Yale, except last, actually, and probably this one. But it's with Rhythmic Blue. It's kind of a showcase that goes on. There, we. It's not really a competition, but it's basically a competition. It's <laughs> our hip hop group uh, versus like Harvard's hip hop crew. And then there's also like spoken word, um, the Harvard equivalent of shades. Um, it's really awesome, and I don't know, it's just so cool. It's like ten minutes of like nonstop dancing. It's basically a mix of all of the dances we'd put on in our semester show. So that definitely gets me hyped like no other. That sounds amazing! Wow, yeah, it's so fun. <laughs> um, next, do you have any irrational fears? Oh man, so many. <laughs> feel like it's not I feel like it's not irrational I'm really like really scared of spiders but I have a good reason my so I lived in Branford last year and I don't know if either of you are in Branford or Saybrook but there's a lot of pests and I'm not even kidding you I had like a spider infestation or something all of these tiny little spiders kept popping up in my room and now I'm like scared that I like yeah, it was gonna sound so ridiculous but have you heard the thing where it's like you eat eight spiders a year or something like that yes oh I yes I'm so scared oh, yes no. okay I looked it up it's fake no worries but I'm so <laughs> nervous that they're going to like show up anywhere I go I like have to oh I saw one in our basement last night and I just have not been downstairs in the basement since so <laughs> oh my gosh I'm so sorry that happened it's okay it's all right <laughs> well all right, next question. What's your favorite Filipino tradition? Um, let's see. I don't know. It probably has to be something with food. Oh, there's actually this thing called um kamayan, which is it's literally just a feast. Like, you can go to a restaurant and do it. That's the place that's like how I've done it in the past. I think actually the AACC did one. Um, but you put down like mm-hmm. uh banana leaves and then you put a bunch of rice and then just like pile on all the food. And you just get a bunch of people and you just like eat with your hands. That's like a big part of Filipino culture. You just like eat so much and it's great. I mean, what's not to love? It's a bunch of food on a table in front of you. Mm. And lastly, um, for any incoming freshmen at Yale um, who may be listening, what is one thing you wish you knew coming into Yale? I wish that I knew to uh, ask for help always and often I think that you know you come here and you think that you know you got it or you have to figure it out on your own just ask for help look for you know mentors anywhere and I don't mean like start talking to your professors I mean that's a good thing but like look for mentors in your friends they can be the same age as you it it doesn't matter just ask for help often and 
you know, without shame. I think that that's the most important thing. You'll find a lot of good answers if you just ask. Hmm. That, that's a great piece of advice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's all of our rapid fire questions. Jasmine, thank you so, so much for coming onto this episode and telling us and the listeners about yourself and your perspective on your identity and all of your experiences growing up. It was such an honor to get to know you and have you on this episode. Please be well and thanks once again for being on. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. Hey, Homecoming listeners, thank you so much for listening to another episode. Make sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. In addition to Spotify, SoundCloud, and Anchor, we are now on Apple Podcasts slash iTunes, and definitely leave us a five-star review and comments, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at HomecomingPod. We have also got a very special bonus episode for y'all next week, so definitely stay tuned for that.